Hi, and welcome to episode 338 of No Crying in Baseball, the weirdly Yankee positive episode. My name is Patty. I'm here with a scowling potty mouth. How are you, potty mouth? I, I don't think it's a scowl. It's more like, you know, the, the yikes a, emoji? I use that one a lot where, where it's like all teeth and the, the mouth going yeah. straight across. That was kind of it. It was like, eee. Yeah, it's, mm. it was grimace adjacent, yeah. okay. I think. Grimace adjacent, I yeah. think is fair. We can go with that. Sure. Um, but I, can't, I I'm going to tell you things that are going to make you hate the Yankees slightly less. I'm not going to, you're not going to like them, but you're going to hate them a little bit less. Yeah. You know, my take, well, you'll, you'll see my take is um, liking the guy, uh, hating the Yankees more. <laughs> so oh, we'll get there. Is my computer beeping at you now? I just muted it. All right. As long as it's not popping up ACDC songs, then, then we're if good. Only. I think I covered now I'm that. I'm getting like, okay, you know, updates are available. Do you want to install the updates now? To which I say no. no. No, no, thank you. Unless you're giving me more ACDC sheet music, I do not want your updates. Yeah. Does not, does not need to do updates right now. No. However, good news on the ACDC front. Well, actually two, two items that I've purchased, three items that I've I've purchased this week. So, yes. You know, yes. snow days. You've been shopping on your snow days. Is that what that is? You're home and you can't go to work. And so. And that happens. Right. So I, I finally, the big, big one was I finally ordered the electronic drums and yes, electronic. And actually one of our, one of our listeners, I, I think it was, it was Chris, uh, said it would save my marriage if I went for the electronic drums instead of the old fashioned ones. And I kind of figured there, there's definitely a lot of advantages to having the e-drums. You can plug into it. You can put your iPhone on it. You can lower the volume there's all sorts of cool the last things. one is the key yeah there, the whole lowering of the volume there's that but the other thing that i noticed when i went to order the electronic drums was that i need something to sit on while playing drums and so what i've been doing with the practice pad here is just sitting at the edge of this couch which is has no arms around and that's the important part that you got to have your arms moving but you need a little bit of more control of your height when you're actually in front of a drum set so i what would you what would you google search search if you were looking for something to sit on while playing drums adjustable stool yeah yeah or drum stool right so that i went with drum stool um it's called a throne so, <gasps> so i am getting I a, one just because it's called a throne right. i'm getting a drum throne and i'm very and it just took a very long time to decide which kind of Is throne i was gonna there's get there's something but. different between that and a just an adjustable stool, stool? well no not really Do they, i mean it's a cost 20 percent more or have a tiara or something prob- or probably scepter, both of them drumsticks get like scepters yeah there were there were all sorts of like decisions to be made like what kind of seat whether it was going to be round or saddle style i think it was called and then the way it adjusts you got round didn't you no no i went went for it's it's i think some of them called it like motorcycle or something it looked more comfortable so i went for it i have a bad back (laughs) i went actually then then what i i literally googled was uh lumbar support was drum thrones for old people with bad backs (laughs) old short people with bad backs and then I found my magical drum drum throne. That's, so that's spectacular. That's two out of three. Number three out of three is I went to drop some stuff. Once the snow had cleared, I went to drop off some stuff at Value Village, our local thrift store. So, of course, I went for a tour inside. And what did I see? A drum set? A no, well, I, sh- I didn't throne? look there. No, an ACDC t-shirt. Did you get it? Yes, of course. Of course you did. <laughs> it, was, it was like four bucks. Of course I did. Also, I found out that uh, Value Village on Tuesdays has a 30% discount for seniors. Seniors are over 55. 
Oh. Yeah. All right. So that's enough of my drum and old people <laughs> rambling. So, like, so the scary thing about that is I'm like, okay, that includes me. And also mm-hmm. I'm excited by that because I would Ditto. like to have 30% off at the thrift store. Oh my God. Right. Ditto. What has happened? Yep. What has happened? All right. Do you have happy news? I spent yesterday morning at the annual meeting for the Thunderbolts, which is our, our local you know summer collegiate baseball team, of which I am on the board. And it was really fun. And it was three plus hours. And I thought, well, that's going to be a long time on a a very, very cold Saturday morning. Do I really want to leave my house because we're doing this in person? It was great. It made me so happy. It got me psyched up for the season. Um, We've got 10 returning players. And there were guys that I really enjoyed watching play baseball. They were like, you know, they, they were really into the game. They were good players and they seemed to really enjoy the opportunity of playing on the summer league. So I'm really, it, it, it kind of pumped me up. It was like this little off season um, pump up of baseball that I'm going to get to see super close. That's awesome. Anything that like makes summer come sooner or, you know, anything like that is I'm happy about or dreaming of summer, thinking about summer, warmth, sunshine, lack of school, all those things. All I those like, things. I like. On today's show, we've got Blake, Sean, Dusty, and and another guy. Uh, We've got boyfriends on the Yankees and on the Reds. We're cross-training with football because, hey, it's January. Our police blotter has that other guy and the A's, so much about the A's still. We've got international baseball and MLB internationally. Cheers. Cheers. If I had framed you better, I would have put in, put the Pulaski cow right behind you because you're wearing your Pulaski uh, shirt. Damn. Yeah. So, oops, I missed a golden maybe, opportunity maybe you can use there. That as, a, as an Instagram opportunity. There we go. Yeah. So, so look at us on Instagram to see Patty's lovely Pulaski shirt. We had a really good time visiting the Pulaski Yankees and uh, years ago. Yeah, it was years ago because yeah. they don't exist anymore. Right. Oh well. So hot stove time for this week, and I don't have much to say. I am sad about the Red Sox. It's a lot of news has come out about basically that they're not going to do shit. And despite the fact that there's all this news that they're not going to do shit, I'm clinging on to the hope that either Blake Snell or Jordan Montgomery somehow will end up there, even though it looks bleak. What also is interesting to me, though, is they're both Scott Boris clients. So he's known for holding out until they get the money and we are waiting and we are waiting. And so Blake Snell and Jordan Montgomery are also waiting. But Blake Snell is doing good things with his time, the time he has on his hands. He seems to be sponsoring an under 12 travel team in Seattle and they have the coolest merch. I mean, this will be the only under 12 travel team that could like sell their own merch nationwide. (laughs) It's the Zillas and it's like this day glow green and pink on black and it's super snazzy. And damn it, they have Blake Snell (laughs) hanging out with the kids. It it couldn't be cooler. So I'm not clear if it was just for one tournament. It seems like it might be an alter ego for a team that was already in existence. But um, we're following them on Instagram. So if I find any updates, I will let you know. And like just our little moment of Blake Snell thought about us for a a few seconds when he uh, liked our repost of his announcement about the Zillas. So just that that thought. So we're that best he friends thought, now. Exactly, exactly. So we can now say Blake Snell, friend of the pod. Yep. 
Yeah. I think that's any smart. moment. Any moment. I'm going to have this last sip of beer so you can refill my beer. I am looking forward to that. While I talk. Hey, um, what did we start with? We started with uh, Ignite. Oh. Did you say it was called Ignite? Ignite. I got that from Hellbender Brewery, where we, uh, me and Mr. Pottymouth and cousin of Mr. Pottymouth, came in a very close second on trivia, but we ended up with some Hellbender koozies, and you know that's that's as far as as far as she right. You know, we what what brought us down the TV show Friends. They had a whole fucking category on Friends. I've never seen Friends. We See, watched an next episode. Time, loop me in. I okay, could, I could I could have been your 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 phone a friend friend yeah, friends friend expert. Yeah, All right. and then I would have gotten a koozie too, and that's yeah. what I really want. Damn it. So okay, next go. time, next time. Oh, and the beer I'm pouring now is the Southside Southside Rye that you brought last week. Yeah, it's no longer called the Southside Rye because they oh. have less rye in it right now because apparently rye is less trendy. So it's it was my favorite beer for a long time, and now it's just a really good beer, but maybe not as much as my favorite because they've downplayed the rye a little bit. And some I kind of like my beers to taste like Manhattans. <laughs> and this is from Denizen's Brewing Company, no longer in Silver Spring, but not too far away. Yeah, Southside That's- IPA. Yay. Thank you for that. Hey, patron saint of the pod, Sean Doolittle, who retired um, in September. He was a relief pitcher for a very long time with the A's for a while with the Nationals. He was on the Nationals World Series winning team in 2019. There was some question about what was he going to do next? He he and his wife, Erin, said, yes, we're staying in D.C. Yeah. And we thought, OK, you can run for mayor. But instead, he has... <laughs> been hired as a pitching strategist for the Nationals, which is sort of a liaison between the pitching coaching staff and the analytics department, because mm. he's really into both of those things, as it turns out. During the pandemic, he spent a lot, he's, he's a nerd. Yeah, he's a nerd. Sure. So he spent a lot of time looking at numbers and other analytics and statistics and things, especially during the pandemic, when there was much more downtime. And got really into it and learned about, okay, this this is how you kind of personalize your approach. You learn what you're doing specifically and how you, based on numbers, how you can improve. And he also had been getting into coaching a little bit because you know, he's been injured for a while and has spent a lot of time at rehab facilities yeah. and with the minor league affiliates of the Nationals. So he's been working with the younger pitchers just because he's there. You know, he's been the veteran for a while. He's been like the clubhouse guy. Now he's been sort of like the the unofficial pitching coach for a lot of guys in this system. And so now they're going to make this more permanent. Mike Rizzo, who's the GM of the Nationals, called him one of the most intelligent baseball minds you can find. Yeah. Which is easy to um, to, to see how that's true. And th- the other option that Sean Doolittle promoted was maybe they'll have me drive the bullpen <laughs> cart. But I guess, I guess he has other skills that they decided to lean into as opposed to just his ability to drive the bullpen cart. Yeah. Didn't they bring that cart back for him? Like, wasn't he the driving, he, literally the driving force behind the he's cart? He's the only one who really ever used it. We spent a lot of time yelling, you know, take the cart. Right. And nobody ever did except for Sean so Doolittle, cool. but it's it's so fun. Yeah, I, I, we got to sit in it. I, w- I would like to um, have that job. I mean, it, oh yeah, there's some. If I were independently wealthy and retired, there are mm-hmm. so many baseball things and baseball adjacent things that I would like to do. Huh. Anyway, hey, Dusty Baker. Speaking of retired, is retired <laughs> and also independently wealthy, and as is now with his third stint with the Giants. He's mm. done a lot of things with the Giants over, over the years. He's has been appointed as the special advisor to the Giants' president of baseball operations, Farhan Zaidi, and also their CEO, Larry Bayer. I'm hoping they give him enough time to go watch his son, Darren, play in the, the Nationals minor leagues where yeah. he is currently, because that was something that he said was important to him. But yay that he's got 
you know, he can still contribute in a formal way mm-hmm. to Major League Baseball, which is cool. Hey, that guy, Josh Hader, who's Ooh. never going to be a boyfriend because we dislike him. I'm mentioning this deal because there's an important thing in it for me. He <laughs> was signed by the Astros for $95 million for five years as a relief pitcher. This is the largest relief pitcher contract based on like current dollars. There are some that have been more, but there's a lot of deferred money. So their current value is less. But the fact that Josh Hader is from the Baltimore area and his oh. dog is named Camden. Oh. Yeah. We learned that anecdotally by talking to people at the ballpark one day. And then I actually fact checked it. It is true. I was really kind of scared that uh, that the O's would, you know, bring him back to Maryland. But the important thing for me is he's not an Oriole and he's not going to be an Oriole. <laughs> For a while. So I'm happy about that. So thank you, Astros, for making that little nightmare not a situation. Yeah, we can breathe a sigh of relief. Although Astros now have like three closers, like three guys for late, I don't know, I guess they have the seventh, eighth, and ninth wrapped uh, up. Uh, one of the things I read said they were basically, you know, learning from the Rangers. Mm. Like We talked about that before a little bit more with starting pitchers was that teams are learning to really load up on arms because all you need is one or two guys to have some sort of injury and you could be sunk. Yeah, look at Felix Bautista in the O's last year. For that's Yeah, I think that had a lot to do with it. So we are going to talk about our baseball boyfriends. Side note, we put a poll on uh, our Patreon for our very closest friends to vote whether we should continue with baseball boyfriends or maybe go to baseball beer friends or maybe do something different. And there was a lot of really good conversation. And so those of our, our, our um, Patreon friends who can who can check the poll on Patreon can see that it's actually tied. But we have one vote that was emailed in because unfortunately, and I'm really sad about this, that Patreon is not fully accessible for somebody with limited vision. So that sucks. Um, but I, unless we can find a better place, yeah, uh, send in your suggestions for that. That's where we're at, which just nudges baseball boyfriends over the top. Plus, somebody, I think, wrote a pretty good explanation of how I look at it and how I was hoping it would feel. And maybe we can we can share that on social media somewhere because I thought it kind of encapsulated what we're trying to do. So I think we're going to stick with it for now. I, you know, definitely I always feel like I want to cover all the bases, so to speak, and I don't want to shut anybody out. Um, but we're just trying to find sort of a, a happy medium. So, well, the con- the conversation will continue, and I really appreciate our Patreon friends uh, chipping in there. So, we're looking at baseball boyfriends this week from the Yankees and the Reds. So, this is something I dread because this means I have to say nice things about at least one Yankee for the week. I was thinking that maybe I'm being too hard on the Yankees, and I know there are a lot of Yankees fans who are really lovely people. So I'm doing my best here. I am choosing Oswaldo Alberto Cabrera Mabaricuna, um, who's Oswaldo Cabrera to everybody else uh, and how he is, he's g- goes by. And just for you know a side note, and I know I've talked about this before, but Latin American last names, there are usually two of them. Most uh, people from Latin American countries have two last names, but the first one is the father's last name. And so that's what they they use in informal stuff or at least in this country is this back-to-back oswaldos for you for yankee boyfriends oh you know i think the last one was just oswald because i had ah. oswald peraza and i and last year i was actually thinking about oswaldo cabrera but they were kind of in the in the same boat i'm hoping i have better luck this time the funny thing is last time it was this um showdown for shortstop right 
and uh, and you're going to talk about the guy who's going to who's the big winner. But they're looking at Oswaldo Cabrera now for left field. I'm looking at him as utility, and I'll see how I feel by the end of this offseason if he's going to make the final cut for my fantasy team because he can play a lot of positions. Uh, and I'm always looking for the, that character thing. And I think what, what finally sealed the deal is his very last Instagram post where he's talking about the need to change. And I'm going to talk about why he really needs to change because the end of last season was a huge disappointment. But what the the song says that shows him working out too is the point is to change, to evolve, to get better. That's the fucking point. And he wrote in his little side on, um, note, that's the fucking point. So that's the fucking point, to change, to evolve, to get better. He's from Venezuela, signed in 2015 for $100,000 at age 16. And in 22, he debuted in August, so pretty late in the season. Uh, only played 44 games, but had some really good moments. He was the first Yankee to start at four different positions within his first six games. <laughs> so amazing. right away, they're moving him all over the place. Third base, shortstop, right field, and second base. His seven outfield assists during that time tied with Aaron Judge. And he had only played four games in the outfield in the minors before being brought up. They also had him play first base on the major league level in 19, in 19, in 2022 for the first time in his career. So he had never played <laughs> first base in the minors, but the Yankees are like, what the fuck, throw him in. So I'm starting, I'm starting to like paint a picture of how they, in a way, set up this rookie for, I don't, I don't want to say disaster, but a difficult situation to be moving him all over the place as a young guy without experience in some of these positions, you know? And he's getting a lot of shit for his defensive stats, but, you know, how can you learn anything if you're being thrown all over the place? Um, we, we always look for moments where our boyfriend, baseball boyfriends do positive things for the community, and he had a visit to an elementary school in the Bronx, which apparently is a school that many Yankees have gone to because of a longtime connection with the Steinbrenner family, but that he went to the school, was able to speak bilingually, and make a connection with a kid from his same hometown. So I'm just going to give a little extra baseball boyfriend points for that. So the big disappointment in 23, he rocked it in spring training and then just it slowly went downhill. And here's the other thing that I think that the Yankees did wrong is that they bounced him up and down in June and July at the beginning of the season. Instead of giving him any stability and a, and a one position or even just one area of the field to focus in, just infield or just outfield, he gets sent three times to Triple A in June and July. And he said, and I quote, a lot of good people, good hitting coaches and players were telling me good things, but it was too many things in my head. It was not me. Oh, no. So going up and down, he's getting different coaches. He's getting different messages. He's getting different positions. And he just couldn't find himself in all that is what it sounds like. So his stats from 22 to 23 dropped and everything except for stolen bases. At the MLB level in 23, he played left field, right field, center field, third base, second base, shortstop, <laughs> and first base. So again, they're not allowing him to excel in any position. But he had the attitude that he was willing to do anything to be there, right? And so he was asked what his p favorite position was. And he said, the one where the manager needs me. 
Eventually, he made a connection with his AAA hitting coach and realized it wasn't his swing. It wasn't his mechanics. It was mental. And all this stuff was really fucking with his mind. His mom was upset because the Yankees posted on social media a a baby bomber. You know, there's always like this generation of the baby bombers. A a baby bomber picture on social media that had Peraza, my last year's guy, and Volpe and Dominguez and Pereira and Wells. And his mom was like, where are you at? And for him, he wasn't upset about it like she was. He said, when I saw that picture, I said, I have to be better. It was inspiration for me. Mm So he did do better. So he was brought back up at the beginning of August of 23. And in August, he had a 316 average with a 725 OPS. So he showed improvement after dealing with all that, which makes me hopeful for next year. In uh, mid-September, they were at the Pirates. And he went to the Roberto Clemente Museum with my former pick from, uh, from the Yankees, who has been up barely, Esteban Florial. And when they were there... He picked up, he, because they get to do shit like this if you're in a Yankees uniform, he got to pick up Roberto Clemente's bat. Mm. And the guy at the museum said, hey, if you hold this bat, you're probably going to get a homer tomorrow. And he did. And the thing about that home run is it was his first home run since June 3rd. Wow. So since before all that shit happened to him, he got a home run. Um. He was playing in the Winter League in Venezuela with his brother Leobaldo and the Tiburones de Guaira, and I'm going to be talking about them later. And he was so excited. It was the first time that he got to play a professional game with his brother that he called his favorite person. His brother, by the way, had been signed by the Yankees, um, but was DFA'd in 2018, spent some time with the Twins in 21, but seems to be pretty much out of MLB by now. When he was in Venezuela, he played second base and shortstop. <laughs> he had a 270, 267 average with 700 OPS, so that's exciting. But he was only there for a month because that is all the Yankees gave him permission for. So he's missing the excitement that's happening with the Tiburones. And just because I get to say it, he was originally assigned to Caribes de Anzuategui. Oh, but he was traded to the Tiburones. And if, if you remember this from last week, from the guy that I picked last week, Jose Azocar. So it all stays within uh, my baseball boyfriend realm here. He has a sportsy family. His dad, whose name was also Leobaldo, played volleyball for the Venezuelan national team. And he said that that influenced him with the mentality that you need for professional competition. And that's what he appreciates about the Yankees as well, is learning about that mentality that's just serious you know the Yankees are there to complete compete and he said that he takes advantage of the opportunity to ask questions to other players so the the last thing that I want to say about him is just a, a quote to leave you with I always try to be positive all of the time I believe if you're positive you can grow grow yourself into what you want to be so I fe- feel like the Yankees better give him a shot with some stability. Don't yake them all over the field. Maybe a couple different positions. Don't yake them up in town. But I'm uh, I'm hoping for Oswaldo Cabrera to do some good things in 24. Excellent. That is very cool. I'm going to make you, like I said before, hate the Yankees a little bit less. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> I mean, okay. So what I've always said, this is consistent yeah. for me, that if you are a Yankees fan because you grew up with them as your right. local team and your family's team, I cannot fault you for yeah. that. It's the sort of, you right. know, I don't know who to root for, so I'll pick the Yankees because I hear that that logo is important. Yeah. Those are the folks I'm like, yeah, do a little homework. But if you are, you know, tried and true, you grew up that way. So that's the story of 
Anthony Volpe, who's 22, mm-hmm. shortstop. And the commitment the Yankees have made to him and the fact that he it had to work out this way. It had to work out this way for Anthony Volpe. Okay, so he was born in New York City, moved to New Jersey in fourth grade, but born in, in, in New York City. His family, his parents are both doctors. They had partial season tickets to the Yankees. He grew up going to Yankees games. There is a photo of him two hours old with his uncle's Yankees cap on his <laughs> head, right? His uncle more recently said, I keep on reading that we're Yankees fans, but they have no idea what kind of Yankees fans we are. We are not casual fans. I can relate. Right? And yeah. I, th- I thought of you and your family because this is like, mm-hmm. you know, at least third generation. Sure. At least. And it, it, it runs deep, Okay. So, okay, so he went to high school in New Jersey. He was the 2019 New Jersey High School Player of the Year. He committed to Vanderbilt. Ooh, Vandy boys. I mean, Vandy boys, right? And in the 2019 draft, the Yankees picked him in the first round. Holy so shit. So are you going to go to Vanderbilt? Are you going to yeah. say, I'm a first round pick. I'm going to go to my the team that I idolized, that I wanted to be part of since I was freaking born. So he was a Yankee and he was signed with a $2.7 million mm. signing bonus. One of the things I like wow. about him is he started with the Pulaski Yankees in 2019 and we've been there. Wow. We've been there. That's why I'm wearing my Pulaski Yankees shirt. Uh, this is the only Yankees team I said I'll ever root for. and They don't exist anymore, so sorry, Yankees. Yeah. But I still have my T-shirt, and I feel good about that. In 2021, he played for the Tampa Tarpons. Okay, say 2020, there was no right. minor league baseball, so that's why we are skipping 2020. But he played for Tampa in 2021. And that year, he was minor league's first 20-homer 50 Steel player. 50? 50, since Andrew Jones in 1996. That's a big deal. That is a very big deal. All right. In 2023, he gets invited to spring training for the Yankees, right? I just confirmed that we were at Pulaski in 19. 2019. I was wondering about that. So I, I, I'm, I, I'm thinking that we have probably saw yep. Anthony Volpe play. In How about that? 2019. I like that. So he goes to spring training for the Yankees in 2023. And he was told right before opening day, a few days before opening day, that they were giving him the starting shortstop job. Right? Which was huge. Which was huge. There was a lot of competition yep. for this position. And again, as a kid rooting for the Yankees, who's his favorite Yankee? Derek Jeter, the shortstop. All the kids wanted to be Derek Jeter. So he gets pulled into the office at spring training and he's told, you're going to be the starting shortstop. Oh, by the way, here's the phone. Derek wants to say hi. Oh, right. And see, this is the thing. It's like, I don't care for Derek Jeter. I don't care for the Yankees. (laughs) But oh, my God, if if you are this kid who grew up wanting to be Derek Jeter and you find out you have a chance to kind of be Derek Jeter and Derek Jeter says, hey, congratulations. I'm rooting for you, kid. Yeah, no, I can't blame him. That's How amazing crazy. is that? And and so um, Anthony said it was a goosebumps crazy moment. <laughs> oh, shit. I want to talk to you about how the Yankees look out for Volpe, right? Okay, so as we know, uh, my former boyfriend, Aaron Judge, is the captain. He's a captain now, right? You know, they mm-hmm. haven't really had captains, really, since right. Jeter. And, and Aaron Judge is looking out for the kids, Right. He takes Volpe under his wing so much that Anthony Volpe's at the tailor shop, like right you know, before opening day, 
getting fitted for a suit. Because who's got a suit when you're, you know, this kid, right? <laughs> right. Because you got to wear these suits when you go on the road and you're traveling. And he's at the tailor shop and he goes to pay for this new suit. And the tailor says, it's been taken care of. Oh, Because wow. Aaron Judge made a call and said, I got this. I got this. And he's, and this reminded me of, honestly, God, of my father-in-law, who kind of like always <laughs> yeah. tries to sneak the credit card to like the wait staff so sure. you don't have a chance to argue about it. It's already taken care of. Um, I've learned that. I know this trick now, and I've used it on my father-in-law. <laughs> but regardless, Aaron Judge says, it just felt like a way to help make the rookie's life a little bit easier and show him that people care. Yeah. The Yankees have done things to like set him up for success, like his hitting group for you know for practices. He's with Aaron Judge and another former boyfriend of mine, John Carlos Stanton. Because who do you want to learn from, right? Who mm-hmm. are you want to emulate? You want these guys who are the hitters, who you literally have to look up to because they're fucking <laughs> there's a, huge. There's a picture of the three of them, and they are both like a head oh taller God. than than Volpe for sure. He spends a lot of time with Anthony Rizzo, my former boyfriend, your former boyfriend, yeah. who said it's it's like he sees it like spending this extra time with him is like being kind to someone under a lot of immense pressure because there's all these Jeter comparisons. Mm-hmm. It's the New York kid. He is like the like the, the great shining hope at shortstop and all of this stuff. And so it's like, what can we do to make this kid's situation easier. Mm-hmm. Aaron Judge and, and Harrison Bader took him to a hockey game. I mean, it's like, uh, let's, you know, we need you to be part of the community, part of us. Yeah. We are a team. We're a family. We're going to show you why that's the case. And this reminded me of Nelson Cruz a little bit, trying to like pass things on and hoping that the younger guys learn from him. Mm-hmm. Volpe said, hopefully I'll have that type of career they've had. Sure. But if I was ever in that position, I definitely want to pay those guys back for what they've done for me. So again, he's learning how, he's like emulating these role models who are being super kind and super inclusive and we want to help you. I'm like, okay, I I care about this. I sure. don't, I don't hate, hate the Yankees for this. So his, he started on opening day this past season and it was a big deal because of all the Jeter comparisons because he's this hometown kid, right? He's the youngest Yankee to start opening day since, guess who? Derek Jeter. Of course. His high school in Morristown, New Jersey canceled a baseball game so that baseball team could come watch him on opening day, watch his debut. His mom, who's a urologist, closed her practice that day so her whole staff could come. I mean, he had packed the stands because he's this hometown kid and there's a lot of hope on him and therefore Mm -hmm. also a lot of pressure on him. Oh, yeah. So it's opening day. His first defensive play, I think it's like the fourth inning or something. So, you know, he's shortstop. First, he throws somebody out at first. And Mike Rizzo flips the ball back. Actually, Anthony Rizzo. Mike Rizzo, I, you know, referenced earlier as the GM. Yeah, no, Anthony Rizzo, like, flips the ball back to him thinking he's going to want this because it's his first defensive play. He doesn't think about it. So he's, like, (laughs) throwing it to to DJ at second who, you know, throws it, I think, to Peraza, actually, at that point. At third. And then throws it into the crowd. Oops. (laughs) (laughs) There it goes. So he went. 0-2 at the plate, but he got a walk, he had a stolen base, and he said it's probably the most fun day of of my entire life. He was the fifth Yankee in team history to have at least 10 stolen bases in their first 31 career games. On May 13th, he became the first Yankee to steal 13 consecutive bases without getting caught. Who did he beat? Joe DiMaggio, who had 12 in a row. By June, he started a hitting slump, and he kind of went up and down with his hitting through the rest of the season, but even though there was talk about maybe he should go back to AAA to kind of like hone those skills and kind of, they never sent him down. They mm-hmm. had committed to him. You're staying up here. 
And he became the first Yankees rookie to have a 2020 season. He finished with 21 home runs and 24 stolen bases. He won the gold glove at shortstop. That's crazy. For the American League, he was the first Yankees rookie to ever do that. Wow. Yeah. He and his mom had a deal, however, because he didn't go to Vanderbilt, because he went right to baseball. They made an agreement when he signed his contract that he's eventually going to reapply to Vanderbilt. And graduate well if mom's a doctor she's got her right her, uh, priorities straight but there. also i mean but also die hard yankees fan both sides yeah. of the family right so it's like okay good you got yeah. you've got it all going it's a very balanced thing so i i liked the community i liked the veterans looking out for the rookie i hope that this season is more like even keel for him and wow this is i'm kind of excited to learn these things yeah, yeah, except for I still don't want the Yankees to be successful <laughs> this season. But but I do admire it. I do respect it. I totally get it. And he was a huge fan favorite for getting the job because of all those reasons, because yeah. he was a local guy. Yeah. And that meant a lot for them. So I don't know. All right. We got stuff to talk about. We are going to go into the National League with the Reds, and I am taking Ellie De La Cruz. Can I just tell you that I really think I called him? Yeah. Oh, no, you called him for me. Did I? Yep. Oh, thank God. Yeah, yeah. No, no way. don't be mad at you then. Okay. Yeah, yeah. No, no. Way back, and we can go into the, no, to I, the I, archives. I, I immediately you believe said, you. You said you should take him. So I was like, all right, I'll take him. Okay, good. Because yeah. you should take him. All right. That well, makes sense. he's took. He's took. So <laughs> he is a – but also, he's not a, a sure thing. He had a really rough – so my theme for this week is guys who ended 2023 – well, actually, Cabrera ended on an a uplift, but – both of them had major struggles during the season. So both of them are big question marks for this year. However, Ellie De La Cruz had a big start. So we'll see if he can bring that back. Shortstop, 22 years old. As of January 11th, he is a youngin, although he's huge. He's 6'5". That means, boy, there's another like foot and a half after me <laughs> to get to him. Ish, ish. What I love about him, though, so like what makes him a pick? besides the the all sorts of sexy stuff on the field he's got a lot of style and he plays with a lot of joy and after every game he has a custom to flip his hat backwards which is how i wear my hat 99 percent of the time unless it's super sunny out and pop up his sunglasses and untuck his jersey like i'm done this is time to celebrate this is like what i'm doing after the game his nickname is la cocoa and he's from Kiske, wait, de Dominican, the, from the Dominican Republic. And he definitely takes the short out of shortstop. He's from a small town called Sabana Grande de Boya. And it's not known particularly for producing baseball players. However, he was playing baseball at a very, very young age. When he was six years old, and this kind of boggles me, the brother of his coach offered to sponsor him so that he would live with him not too far from his town, but feed him and train him at, at that point six. at six years old. And he had to get the okay from his mom at six. And he's sort of like, I mean, from what I've seen, looking back on this, like this is a, a mature decision, but he's six years old. And he now credits his mom for giving him that opportunity. And he says, I just want to give everything to her. She's why I'm here. And I want her to feel proud of me. So a little bit more about his family. I'm not totally sure about how many siblings he has. It depends on what source you read. I think it's five-ish. It could be more. Both his parents in a very, he grew up pretty poor. Now they're in a, in a modest looking place. And I only know that because there was this wacky interview with his whole family 
on Dominican TV, and and I think it's in the show notes. I think we can link that. But it sort of shows where they're at. Nobody had a lot to say. The connections were bad. He has a twin brother, Pedro, who's 5'8". So he said so that fraternal, right? Not identical. Absolutely. All right. And he said that, like, when they talk to people about being twins, that they have to show the birth certificate because nobody would, yeah, believes believe. it. Yeah. And he said Pedro just stopped and he kept going. So at age 10, excelling at a very young age, his coach said that he should go to the capital, which is an hour away from home. So he, at age 10, he moved away oh, to Lord. the capital to focus on baseball, and he got noticed by a family, Villorio family, that were starting a new team at that point. He was still, like, little from, you know, well, I guess maybe it was my height by then. And and chose him for their team and bought him all the equipment he needed, and which was a big deal because he, he and his family clearly could not afford it. And he said, they treated me like a son. They gave me everything, everything I have. I need to thank them for that. Wow. So he's playing in the Capitol, and somehow he was not excelling. He did not stand out. And the Reds came down in 2018 to scout somebody else on the team that he was playing with. And his manager, his coach, literally put him next to the other guy to make the other guy look better. I guess this is like oh, no. this is like a strategy that they use to make somebody like stand out is like to pick the bad guy on the team and make him play next to him so that the good guy looks good, but it didn't work. The Reds picked De La Cruz for $65,000, which is not really a lot for a sound signing bonus and but didn't you- have high high expectations. So this so that backfired. They they picked Ellie De La Cruz instead of the other guy. Um he was but signed. He was a child. Right, well, he was so young. No, no, this is in 2018. So, but still, he's only 22 now. Yeah, right. That was five All years right. ago. Yeah, right? so he's still a little. Yeah, 17, um, which is kind of average for for a Dominican yeah, signings. Yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, that year and the next year, he was in the Dominican Summer League and just didn't do well. It didn't click in. wasn't wasn't shining. wasn't moving up. In 2020, of course, you know the pandemic year. So what what also happened during the year um, was the the minor league cutback, and the Reds that year actually cut two full minor league teams. So he thought he was screwed because forty eight players were out of a job at that point. I want to say that Major League Baseball cut two of them mm-hmm. because it was a Major yeah. League Baseball decision uh, yeah. to eliminate 40, 40 minor league teams. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah, you're a hundred percent right. Absolutely. So he thought he was gonna be he was gonna be out. But instead of like mulling about it, he spent time literally barnstorming, like old style barnstorming in the Dominican Republic, going around, finding games, being on this sort of traveling team and improving his skills. And he didn't get cut. And when he got brought to Arizona in 2021, he had a 400 batting average. And so he moved up pretty fast. And in 22, he was a top 10 prospect. In the off-season after 22, he played in the Dominican Republic with the Tigres de Licey, uh, who were the championship team that year. He did not get to celebrate the championship because he was limited to the first month, which I guess is like a common thing by the Reds. Although, at that time, he was the youngest everyday player in lead-on at age 20 at that point. The average is 28. Wow. And his average was 286 with 813 OPS, which was the highest OPS ever ever for a Tigres de Lice rookie. And the Tigres de Lice are the winningest team in the Dominican Republic. 
he was only the 12th player in the Dominican Republic ever to home run over their center field wall, which is huge and far. Um, he did not get permission to play this year, unfortunately, and I think the Tigres could use him about now as they enter the finals. He debuted June 6, 2023, and that was it. They did not send him back down because he had a bang of a debut. And here's where we go into the crazy stats that we've talked about before. Talk about the five-tool player, and he's pretty fucking close to excelling incredibly in all five tools. So speed. July 8th, stole second, third, and home over two pitches. He led the club with 35 steals, despite the fact that he started in the beginning of June. And he was clocked at 15.3 seconds from home to home around the bases, the fastest red in the StatCast era. For hitting, he was the fifth youngest player to hit for the cycle in the third fewest games, and he ended the longest route for an MLB team for hitting for the cycle. The last red to hit for the cycle was in two, uh, 19, 1989. Hitting for power. Three of his first six home runs were over 450 fucking feet. His uh, off-the-bat 119.2 miles an hour, hardest hit in Reds history, tied for 10th in hardest hit in MLB StatCast era history. He had five of the hardest hit balls for the Reds. Arm strength. We're at number four, right? Yeah. Uh, he had a relay to gun out my last year's Z-backs baseball boyfriend Corbin Carroll at home plate that was clocked at 99.7 miles an hour. However, he upped that at 99.8 miles an hour a few, I think it was just a few days later against the Giants. And then there's fielding, tool number five. Well, I don't think it's as bad as people say. There's concern about his 960 fielding percentage with 14 errors for a shortstop. However, when I looked at the list, he had fewer errors than folks like Trey Turner, Javi Baez, and Gunnar Henderson. Overall, his stats defensively were better at third base than at shortstop because he did play some games at third. So maybe that would be an option or, or a, a something to think about. I don't know. Uh, I want to say he has a sixth tool, which is his QHAR, his quality hair above replacement, trademark Ollie, because it is just glorious. And, and it, glorious. it adds to his just overall style. So um, he fizzled at the end really, really badly. His first 30 games of 23, he was batting 324 with an 888 OPS, which is, granted, you know, hard to keep up for a rookie. But after the All-Star break, huge dive he was batting 191 for the second half with a 626 ops a lot had to do with strikeouts which is a big problem for rookies who are especially if you're making it big in the beginning and you're connecting a lot and then you're not you're striking a lot out a lot and a third of his plate appearances yeah what happens a lot with these guys who start out really strong and mm -hmm. the pitchers figure them out that's what happened yep yep yeah and and they knew not to throw him a fastball and that's because he was hitting fastballs. And then they were like, oh, we just don't throw him a fastball. But despite the end of the season struggles, his first two home run game came in September with four RBI. And his chase rate did go down in September. So he started figuring it out in reverse. So I'm hopeful that he'll be okay for next year. He said 
quote, it's been a rough patch, but that doesn't mean we're not going to still go out there with a positive attitude. No matter what happens, you have to finish strong. My end goal for my career is to be a Hall of Famer, but it's not just that. I want the people where I am to love me, and I want to love them back. So I want to love Ellie De La Cruz back and uh, hope for the best for him for a comeback year for 24. Like it. I like it a lot. He was so much fun to watch. So much fun. I hope he's going to be fun to watch this year, too. I'm going to enjoy Stuart Fairchild, 27-year-old left fielder for the Reds. For him, the second time is a charm. Okay. Yeah, right? He is from Seattle, Washington. His mom, Mimi, is Taiwanese. And actually, he and my Yankees boyfriend look a little similar. Um, Volpe's mom is of Filipino descent. Oh. And if you throw their photos up next to each other, you could think they could be related. I they look just, do that. just enough alike. They okay. look just enough alike. In high school... Um, outside in Seattle, he was a two-time All-State pick. He was actually drafted by the Nationals in 2014, way way low, in 38th round, like out of high school. And he's like, nope, I'm going to Wake Forest. So off to North Carolina, he went. But two of those summers, while he was at Wake Forest, he played some summer collegiate ball, and I'm a big fan of that. Including in 2015, he played in the league that is our local league, the um the 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 Carrollton Senior oh, wow. Summer Collegiate. Like he played for the Baltimore Redbirds, which don't exist anymore, oh. but it was still it's my league. Okay, so I care about that. The following year, in 2016, he played for the Cape Cod League, which is actually the premier summer league. So I. A lot, of, a lot of the guys we talk about actually do have some experience with these summer leagues. So if you have one of these summer leagues nearby, go see them. Because yep. you might be seeing some guys that um, are making a difference in, the, in, the, in Major League later on. While at Wake Forest, his, his batting average over all three years was 334. He went two seasons without an error. Wow. Right? Two seasons. Out of, two out of his three entire seasons. And two of those seasons, he started every single game. So he played all the time. And made very, very few errors. He Over the course of his three years at Wake Forest, he stole 47 bases out Ooh. of 57 attempts. Wow. Pretty good, right? He had five games. As a junior, he had five games with multiple stolen bases. He's fast. He is very, very fast. And he's very good at defense. He was a semifinalist for the Golden Spike Award, which is the Outstanding College Player Award. He... Out of the three years, he was picked as an All-American three times. He was picked as All-ACC all three years. So he started strong and he stayed strong in college. So 2017, this draft, he's picked by the Reds in the second round. He starts 2018 with a single-A Dayton Dragons, where they said he bats cleanup, hits for average, and runs like the wind but flies under the radar. (laughs) That's so cool. Right? He went from the single A Dayton Dragons to the high A Daytona Tortugas. So I'm amused they have Dayton <laughs> and Daytona as part of their affiliates. In 2019, as he advanced, he kept getting better. Usually when you advance up a level, you kind of sink back a little bit until you get your feet under you again, and then you go ahead. But that did not happen to him. He went from single A to double A, and his stats just kept getting better. It's like, this is great. He's on a roll. Everyone expected him to improve in 2020, but then there was 2020, Mm. where there was no minor leagues. In August of the year, where there were no minor leagues, he was traded to the Diamondbacks. The 2021 season, he started at the Diamondbacks AAA affiliate, which is in Reno. 
He was able to debut with the Diamondbacks in July of that year as a pinch runner. His first run scored is not on anybody's bingo card. He scored on, he was a pinch pinch runner. He scored as a walk-off when David Peralta was hit by a pitch. Oh. So first run scored on a walk-off because of a hit by pitch while you're a pinch runner. Not something you can anticipate. Then things got wacky. April of 2022, he was DFA'd by Arizona while oh. at AAA Reno. So he went home to Seattle because, you know, when you're DFA'd, there's like 10 days for things to work themselves out, mm-hmm. right? So he's, he's in Seattle. And then he finds out, oh, I just got picked up by Seattle. Here I am at my home in <laughs> wow. Seattle for a couple of days. And they send him to AAA Tacoma. He had 16 at-bats, AAA Tacoma. He had 438. This is great. This is great. He's on a roll. So May 22nd, you know, just... 16 at-bats later, he goes to the Mariners, which, like the Volpe thing, this is his dream come true, right? He grew up in Seattle. The Mariners were his team. He was an Ichiro fan. This is so exciting. (laughs) He's got all of his friends and his family there because this is where he grew up. It's fantastic. All the newspapers are covering it like they did Volpe. This is our boy. He's here. This is fantastic. And as Grant Brisby of the... um, of the athletics said they gave Fairchild two weeks of dream come true and then they yanked it away like Lucy's Aww. football. He was DFA'd on May 12th. Lucy's two football. Two weeks. Two weeks with his hometown favorite team. That's harsh and such a great average. So May 14th, he went to the Giants. Oh my God. And then was DFA'd at the beginning of June. Wow. Again. Right? So all of these teams needed him for a hot minute yeah. until that guy that they were waiting for was available again. I'm just wondering, if, if these were all, like, major league appearances, then he's a happy, immaculate grid guy. Whew. Yeah. <laughs> well, this this is true. I don't know how happy. But happy because June 4th, he went back to the Reds. Yay. The team that initially drafted him. His first plate appearance with the Reds at the major league level, he had a home run off of Luis Severino, the Yankees. So, yay. yay. So, it's like, okay, right? <laughs> Everybody's happy about this. As I said, he's half Taiwanese, as is Corbin Carroll. And the two of them both, to much much to the chagrin of the Taiwanese World Baseball Classic team, they Absolutely. both turned down that invitation to play for Team Taiwan. Both of them said, we're leaving the door open for future, but we both of them said we want to focus on the 2023 MLB season. So for 2023, he played 97 games for the Reds. He went back and forth a lot to AAA Louisville. But it looks pretty good that he's going to be starting the season with the Reds. All right. So crossing my fingers for for good things with Stuart Fairchild. Next week, Minnesota and the Cubs. Oh, all right. Our lines are open for any suggestions on either one. All right, as we go through another marathon episode this week, I really quickly, I want to cross-train with football, and mostly because uh, yesterday I spent my morning on a anti-racism training for the school system, which I thought was super positive. And then I saw this soon after, and I thought, you know, I really feel like this this is worth talking about. Robert Kraft, owner of the Patriots... Uh, both and just as a little bit of, of background, both Robert Kraft and Bill Belichick, you know, recently released uh, coach of the Patriots, 
are MAGA Republicans. And my dad will point that out to me a little bit, you know, with with a little bit disdain uh, that they both have their political allegiances and they've been pretty public about it. And they recently let Bill Belichick go, who had been with the Patriots for 24 years with six titles. So king in the in the world of Patriots football. And they hired Jared Mayo, who is a young, and I didn't write it as an age. I know it's 30-something. I think it's like 37, 38. Former player, super personable guy, African-American, first African-American to be coach of the Patriots. And when Robert Kraft was asked about that sort of momentous accomplishment for the Patriots, he said, I'm really colorblind. He happens to be a man of color, but I chose him because he's the best man to do the job, which in my perspective is sort of like the the conservative people, you know, very much of a byline that we don't see color. We're all judging everybody matter. the same. Oh, right? I feel all lives matter coming on. It's exactly. part of this conversation. That, mm. uh, that's exactly it. So power to Jared May- Mayo, who in the same press conference said, I do, and he emphasized it, I do see color because I believe if you don't see color, you don't see racism. And that's the guy that I'm going to side with because if we're talking about racism, the people who are affected by it the most are the ones who should make the call. And it just comes comes down to that. You know, in general, about 60% of NFL players are black. However, 12 teams, including the uh, Super Bowl favorites for this year, I would say Ravens and the Cowboys, have never had a black head coach. And so for the Patriots to do that before 12 other teams, I think is pretty momentous. But I just wanted to kind of put that out there because uh, we know that this affects baseball as well, that racism is an issue across sports, and it's something that we need to pay attention to. And I would like us to follow the words of uh, Mr. Mayo here. Yeah, thank you for sharing. I think it's really important. I think it's really important. And then consider the source. And of who's saying what, and that's where you put the value. Yeah, exactly. And and I don't know if anybody's made the connection between Kraft Mayo. Like, <laughs> I'm sorry. I had to go there. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so I, mm, All right. I, mm, nope, 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 just stop. Right. I'm going to just have our th- the third beer that we're splitting, which is Black Wing. Oh, yeah, from Union? We, Union? From, from Union Brewing, which is pretty tasty. All right. It is. It is. I'm enjoying it. I'm going to have to, like, make it last because we got stuff to talk about. Please, Blotter, I'm not going to say much. We've been talking. I've been talking way too much about Wander Franco. If you want to hear more about the details, go to the linked ESPN story. Basically, the prosecution case has been leaked, although not a lot more than what I talked about last week that had been leaked to the Dominican press. There are more details. It's sorted. It's gross. And if you want to find the details, we'll let you know where to go. But that's all I'm going to say. Also on the police blotter, not at all sorted, but kind of gross and upsetting in a stupid, ridiculous way is the A's. The Oakland A's have released their promotional calendar, as most teams have. They're not giving away a damn thing for all the 2024 season. Hi, fans. We love you. We're going to we're going to shoot off some fireworks a handful of times and that's it. No bobbleheads for you. No T-shirts for you because we don't care about you. It's like they keep making it worse. They do. <laughs> you know, they like, do. Why and, do they keep making it worse? They've got players they could do bobbleheads for. They'd have somebody that could print t-shirts for them. Why? Why are you going out of your way to make 
your fan base hate you more. Yeah. I just got to say, our prize pack for the last winner of our, our fantasy baseball league included an A's cup. And there might be another one. And now they're, like, going to be totally valuable. So, Oh, but now we're going to keep them. Yeah. There <laughs> Sorry, you have missed your opportunity. Might have some rally towels for the next time. Wow. Oh, sure. That's pretty exciting. Hey, more A's news, which may or may not be police blotter worthy. As you may or may not know, if you listen to the show, the lease on the Coliseum for where the A's play expires at the end of this current, the 2024 season, right? And if they do, in fact, move to Vegas, which is still not a done deal, that would not begin until 2028. So there's these years in between <laughs> where we're looking for a home for this Major League Baseball team. So the A's ownership has been on the road, sort of test driving, largely triple A ballparks. Oh and they God. include in Sacramento, Sutter Health Park, which is the home of the Sacramento River Cats, which is the Giants triple A team. And then in Salt Lake City... I had to read this twice because initially I thought they were looking at um, Smith Ballpark, which is the current home of the Salt Lake Bees. Yes, again, the A's are messing with the team oh. called the Bees. And I thought they were going to like attempt to share this facility with the Bees. Now, the Bees have a new ballpark. These are Bees, B-E-E. -E. Yes. As the opposed to Bees the... as opposed to Letter Bees. Yeah. As opposed to, you know, yeah. The Ballers, I think, is the right. full name of the Oakland Independent Team. So the, the Salt Lake Bees have this plan to move to a brand new ballpark in 2025 and abandon the Smiths ballpark. I thought, great, they're freeing it up so that mm -hmm. the Oakland A's are looking at the Smiths. No, no. The A's want the new ballpark. Oh, of course. And if they take the new ballpark, holy shit, that would fuck with the bees, which means they would have to stay at their old ballpark for three more years. Anybody who's read Winnie the Pooh knows you don't fuck with the bees. You don't fuck with the bees, and yeah. yet they are. So, yeah, they have also been looking at uh, um, Reno, a couple other places that have AAA sure. ballparks, so they don't know where they're going to go. But the important thing is they're going to burn every possible <laughs> bridge before they get wherever they're going to go. Uh, just a side note, the White Sox are maybe looking at a new, new Comiskey yeah. Park. Um, their current lease goes through 2029. And so they found another south, south side location that they're considering there's also some like way in the back of the head rumblings about moving to nashville because nashville's been really been noted several times as yeah. a possible site for an expansion team hey so there is that you know stay tuned we will report back as we know more about what's happening with the white Sox. but oh come on A's, you're just ridiculous now no one's gonna believe this is true <laughs> all right if you're sticking with us now I'm going to talk about Cuban Professional Baseball Federation, which is FEP Cube, and their, their logo is Patria Vida, which you, you might have noticed uh, in the past couple of years, a lot of Cuban expat players have used that uh, country and life phrase to basically say, I'm from Cuba, but I'm not from the Cuban government. And a lot of those players have been talking for a while about making their own team independent of Cuba. So a Cuban team that's not connected to the Cuban government, which creates a whole big mess. And they tried to do it for the World Baseball Classic, and that didn't fly. Well, we saw Patria Evita at the WBC games that we went to. Oh, yes. yes. And that yeah. was the, the protest. That was right. the protest of the Cuban team. So they're trying to put together this dream team, and there was actually going to be an international tournament in Colombia 
any day now, starting January 26th to February 1st. And I'm wondering if it was Colombia because they were kind of bumped from the Serie de Caribe uh, because of some formality in them not signing on the dotted line and paying a bunch of money. Um, so they were going to host a bunch of countries, Japan, South Korea, Curacao, Colombia, and the United States. Now, these were not clearly national teams, but they were teams from all of these countries. And this team of Cuban expats was going to play. It was organized by Team Renteria, Colombians Edgar and Edison Renteria. And I remember Ed Edgar um, Renteria, he, he spent a hot minute with the Red Sox, but a lot of time with the Cardinals and a bunch of other teams. So this was all set to go, and it was canceled just this past week on the 16th because the Minister of Sports of Colombia and the Colombian Olympic Committee couldn't approve of it, despite the fact that this was a bunch of, like, ragamuffin teams from different countries. I mean, who knows? I don't know. There are a bunch of teams from different countries coming. Why the government had to get involved is a little questionable, but basically it looks like there was some Cuban pressure there. So what the Dream Team is saying is that because the Cuban government and the Colombian government were kind of in cahoots, they canceled this tournament at the last minute. So of course the Cuban Dream Team had already come together and had already been sort of like um, practicing and, and you know being excited about being, being able to play together. And so they're playing exhibition games. They played this past week on the 17th against Miami-Dade College, which they barely won, which kind of fascinates me, three to two. Hmm. Um, the first pitch was super symbolic, sent out by Rene Arrocha, uh, the first player to defect from the Cuban national team wow. in 1991. And actually another player to defect who's like older than us pitched a couple innings sort of symbolically as well. So they're going to play again against the Houston Apollos, which were the U.S. team that was going to be playing in this tournament on the 29th. But the people behind this are big names. So Aroldis Chapman, our very least favorite Cuban period, um, is on the team, as well as Jorge Soler, Yuli Gurriel. Lourdes Gurriel was involved in the training, but the D-backs didn't give him permission to play. But he's definitely a supporter of the team. Sino Perez from, from the O's. Yunel Escobar, Leonis Martin, and Victor Mesa Jr., my very Victor former, Victor? yeah, one of the Mesas. He, he's actually going to be on the on the Marlins this year, it looks like. Anyway, all these guys came together. They're a team. They're playing these weird sort of exhibition games, and they want to organize another tournament somewhere, somehow. I just think it's super fascinating, and we'll see where that goes. But, you know, I'm not coming down on either side of the cube, and we don't have enough time for this, but there is a long discussion about the, the validity of playing against the Cuban government or not, but there it is. I'm giving you the info. Super fast. Venezuela. Tiborones are going to the finals for the first time in 37 years, wow. and this is the team that Ronald Acuna Jr. totally, like, got through the regular season, plus Miguel Rojas, my guy Oswaldo Cabrera, who I just talked about, and his brother, and Yasiel Puig, who's been setting all sorts of records there. But my current baseball boyfriend from Kansas City, Michael Garcia, is still playing. Kansas City is letting him play it through. And he said, I stayed in Venezuela because I want to give a championship title to this fan base. And they have waited for a long time. So he's the one who, like, you know, uh, 
lobbied against uh, for for being able to stay there from Kansas City and they actually helped him with whatever changes were necessary to his work visa to be able to stay there. Um, he's actually played four years with the Tiburones, and so he wants to make up for their near miss last year. Ozzy Yen is their manager, and my Cardinales de Lara just clinched last night, so that's who they're playing in the finals that's going to go on this week, ending by the 31st. Lead on Dominican Republic, the Estrellas Orientales against Tigres de Licey are the championship team for the Estrellas. They've only won three times before. The Lise is kind of like the Yankees of the Dominican Republic. They've won 23 times, although wow. they're only beating the Aguilas by one. They won the first game yesterday with Miguel Sano, who you might remember from a sexual assault accusation in 2018 when he's with the Twins, dismissed by MLB, but still suspect. So if that gives you enough reason to not... Vote for the Orientales. You don't want to vote for Lise either because Sterling Castro is there. And he was not accepted by the Washington Nationals because of his assault. So I don't know. Um, Williams Astudillo has come in as a reinforcement for the Orientales. And our old friend Wander Suero is on Lise. So just pick your poison there. Uh, Puerto Rico, I was super confused because I thought that the Criollos de Caguas, managed by Yadier Molina, had won because they had won four games. And I know four wins in a championship round, but not if it's nine games. So game eight is tonight. It might be over by the time you hear us, but I I hope for the best for Yadier Molina because I just like him. You may have heard or seen headlines about International Signing Day, which happened this week. This is what Major League Baseball can sign international players, mm-hmm. right, that aren't necessarily coming from, they're not like getting posted by other teams, like the Japanese players that we've been talking about. These are right. just, these are largely teenagers in most of these cases. And in many of these cases, these signings then start out of baseball academy in their home country or in a nearby country. The Orioles just opened a brand new state-of-the-art facility in the Dominican Republic. Patty Mel tells me that um, Milwaukee did the same thing. I apologize for not having seen that one. I'm, as you may know, I'm a little bit more up on Orioles news than anybody else. (laughs) Anyway, this new academy, uh, they had an old uh, facility in the Dominican Republic, but this one blows it out of the water. And I'm just going to use it for a minute to talk about what these academies are like, because it, it, it reflects what other teams have as well. It just happens to be one of the newest ones. In the Orioles case, this, this location in the Dominican Republic houses the Caribbean, Central and South American player development operations. So players that get signed, um, internationally from those regions will come to this facility in the Dominican Republic, right? To get trained up. It's 22 and a half acres. It's designed much like the Orioles spring training facility in Sarasota, which means it's nice. Mm. It's super nice. There are dorms, there are classrooms, there are computer labs, because I don't know how much of an emphasis is really put on this, but Every one of these international signings, every one of these teenagers has a customized educational program that they do while they are at one of these baseball Mm, academies. There are three baseball fields. There are batting cages, weight rooms, all the other training kinds of facilities that you would expect to be here 
for the grand opening, the Orioles invited lots of former and some current players, either from the Dominican Republic or nearby, the regions that are covered by this. Uh, Vladimir Guerrero Sr. was there for the opening, and he said, it makes me really happy. Uh As a Dominican, I feel really proud that the Orioles did this, and I hope other teams continue to do this in the future. Nelson Cruz was there. Felix Bautista, you know, current, um, yeah. uh, you know, he's on the IL right now. He's recovering from surgery, you know, uh, Orioles closer. And he said, you know, he went through the old facility and said, oh, this is, <laughs> this is so, <laughs> so much, much, so much better, right? Because International Signing Day happened this past week. Yep. The very first class of international signings will start. They'll report to this baseball academy on Monday, which is tomorrow for us and yesterday for you, our listeners. So it's, you know, it's it's been, the, the ribbon's been cut, the tours have been made, but the actual work is going to start on Monday. So this is really very cool. Um, Mike Elias of the Orioles said, this is actually the most important thing that we've done in the five wow. years I've been here. It's, 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 he actually was the first person to see the plans. He's been with the O's for five years, and this is five years in the making. So he was there from the very beginning. He's like, you know what? We have turned our um, our record around. You know, we have we made the playoffs. We we did all of these things, but this right here is the most important thing that the Orioles have done in years. Yeah, and I just hope that education is really a big component of all of these academies that's going up. Because one thing back on the Wander Franco case that I saw is that he dropped out of school at age twelve. Yeah to play baseball. So we don't want that. We want these young signings to be supported through education. We want these teams to like to cater to the whole person. Yeah. And not just, hey, you've got mad skills, but right. we want you to be a well-rounded adult. Yep. When you leave us, you're going to be a well-rounded adult with all of what that entails. Hey, there's stuff happening this week. All right. So the day that you hear us, you are also going to hear the Hall of Fame announcements. And I'm super excited about that. I really hope Adrian Beltre gets in because he's just (laughs) such a fun and wonderful guy. But more about that hopefully next week. It's a time of year where I'm going to start paying attention to football now that we've got just a few weeks left. So, yeah. you know, as as a Baltimore fan, I'm going to say, hey, go Ravens. But not because they used to be the Browns, which a good friend of mine said, why are you mad that the Browns left? Because now they're closer. I'm like, no, they're not the same team. But but go Ravens. I'm and excited wear, about that. I like the purple. Yes. <laughs> the, that, the you know, what it's, it's like purple. It's like when you go to the horse races, you you know, you're making your decision right. on what color the jockey's wearing. Sure. Um, please find us online with your corrections because there's always things that you know you want to correct. We would love your recommendations on guys to pick for the Twins and the Cubs and anything else you want to check in with us about. Potty Mouth, where can people find us? Oh boy, you can find us on both X, Twitter, and Blue Sky at NCIB Podcast, Facebook and Instagram, and Threads, which I don't totally understand yet, but I'm trying to figure out at <laughs> No Crying in B-Ball. And if you want to join our Patreon fun and be able to vote on stuff and get all sorts of perks, like getting us to say what you want if you if you uh, sign up for a certain dollar amount per month. But, you know, starting level is just a buck. You can find that in your glove compartment, I bet. That would be <laughs> Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash no crying and b-ball. And we appreciate every Patreon member we have. Thanks, guys, so much. We love to hear from you. So please, please do yeah. check in with us. Get your booster. Fight the man is the right thing to do. Still have those game balls sitting around. Send them to Meredith. And until next week, say goodnight, Potty Mouth. Good night, Potty Mouth.
I need to move anything you know over what? here? If I do this, that's better because then you can see the whole Pulaski. We want the whole Pulaski. The it's like the full Monty, right. but you know, but the Polish version. <laughs> that's really good. Yeah, I'm here for you. Okay. Oh my God. <laughs>